You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Last year, I got on a plane and flew out to Southern California to meet my buddies Steve and Randy to get on Randy's boat, the, the hot rail there at the Dana, Port, uh, Dana Point uh, Marina. And we went out on a, on a fishing trip. We ended up about 100 miles west of uh, San Diego, and it, w- it was pretty rocky. Uh, one of the three of us got pretty seasick. I won't say which one it was, but, uh, you know, to protect my, my dignity. But uh, we, were, we were looking for yellowtail and uh, uh, dorado and calico bass and bonita. And those of you that fish, you know, that was just so much fun. So then we were heading back, and we were about 25 miles uh, away from Dana Point when three alarms went off on his boat. And, uh, and we were dead in the water. And, and so the alarm's going off. It's this squawk going on. And, and then there's this digitized voice that said over and over again, evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. And the alarms were, first of all, saying that we might have a fire in the engine compartment and uh, that there was low uh, oil pressure in both of the engines. And then the carbon dioxide alarm was also going off. So we're rocking in the boat back and forth, a bit more adventure than what we had signed up for, frankly. And, uh, and just thinking, well, and Randy's reminding us that in the front you can open this hatch and then there's an inflatable dinghy, you put it over the side and, and dive in. It's like, great, that is not what I wanna do. After about a tense hour, Randy was able to, to fix his boat, and then we, we puttered back into the Dana Point uh, Marina, and obviously we made it back, back okay. But I, I use that as an analogy. Aren't there sometimes in life where it, it feels like all the alarm bells are going off in your head, and you can't turn off that thing that says evacuate, 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 quit, you know, run away, you know, whatever it may be, you know, medicate, whatever it may be to be able to get away from whatever the stress is. And sometimes life even just takes a turn to being weird and unexpected, isn't it? Which is like uh, an article I just read from a Utah newspaper is about a local duck hunter that was out in his canoe with his, with his hunting dog And in the article, according to Kevin Potter, a local deputy sheriff, when the man stepped out of the boat, he left his 12-gauge shotgun in the bow of the boat, and that's when apparently the dog did something, they don't know what, but the gun discharged, and the article said that uh, uh, the hunter received 27 pellets of birdshot in his buttocks. (laughs) The newspaper reported that Deputy Potter wouldn't speculate on the dog's motives for the shooting, (laughs) and the police concluded that it was an accident. No charges were filed against the dog, but the article said that the dog still isn't cooperating with the authorities. (laughs) The Lord gave us the psalm that was just read to us by Andrew, Psalm 52, to guide us when to use an analogy, the seas of life begin to rock and roll, the alarms go off, or we get buckshot in the backside, or when life is much more serious than those two examples. There's a backstory to Psalm 52, which is really important, and it's in 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22. 
King Saul became jealous of this young shepherd boy, David, and so he tried to kill him. And so he threw his spear at him. David fled away from him. And David went to, to find help with the high priest, Halimelech, in uh, the tabernacle, which is the precursor. It's where the, the, um, the Holy of Holies was. The, the Ark of the Covenant was there before they had the temple. And he goes, and Elimelech uh, helps him. He's unaware that David is persona non grata now in, in King Saul's uh, kingdom. And, and so he gives him a loaf of bread from the, the, the showbread from the Holy of Holies. And then also gives him Goliath's sword to protect him from predators, enemies, so forth. And so observing this is... Um, Saul's chief shepherd, Doeg. And David is seeing Doeg here, and he's going, man, I, I don't trust this guy. And the alarms are starting to go off in the back of his head, but, but he didn't say anything or do anything. And lo and behold, Doeg, it tells us there in 1 Samuel 21, 22, that he goes to King Saul and he rats him out. And so Saul, who is now becoming mentally ill, he's enraged. He goes to Elimelech and says, did you do this? He goes, yeah, I did. It was totally innocent. There was no motive in this at all. And King Saul turns to his soldiers and he says, kill him. Kill the priest. They won't touch uh, God's anointed priest. But Doeg, the chief uh, shepherd, uh, picks up the sword and he kills not only the chief priest, Elimelech, but he kills 84 other Priests, So 85 different priests are killed. News of this atrocity comes back to David, and David then, inspired by God's Holy Spirit and working through his own emotions of this atrocity, of this trauma and betrayal, writes what we're studying this morning. And so this morning we can learn from David's example how to navigate when through the trauma of betrayal in our lives. And sometimes we are betrayed. Sometimes we live with a burden where we have betrayed someone else. And like we sang this, this morning, there's that, that shame that it, it just goes over and over into our heads. David was experiencing three kinds of trauma in betrayal. It was the trauma of unintended consequences. David never imagined that just going and, and getting food and, and a sword from Elimelech would lead to 85 innocent men uh, being killed. That's the trauma of unintended consequences. When we innocently take some kind of action and then we're abhorred at some kind of terrible um, consequence that we had no control over and we didn't imagine would ever happen. Then there's the trauma when the unimaginable happens. David is just, just goes to get help. The priest helps him. It's all innocent. 85 innocent men are killed. How could this happen? I'm sure that was just running through David's mind every night for months and months. And then finally, David experienced the trauma of unchecked evil. What would possess a man to kill 85 priests? A man given over to, to evil. And in our world today, evil is alive and well and hellacious and demonic Unimaginable things happen to people all around the globe every day. And then the trauma of betrayal cuts so deep into our soul. I remember a few years ago, I was asked to uh, officiate at a funeral at the uh, Air Force Academy. It was a funeral for a three-year-old little boy that drowned in his grandparents' swimming pool in Parker. 
His dad was a graduate of the Air Force Academy, hence that's why we had the, the funeral there. And he had been deployed to Iraq and he was flying back, so his, his mom flew in, left the little guy with his, uh, her mom and, and stepdad, and then flew out to meet her husband that she hadn't seen in nine months. Unbeknownst to grandpa and grandma, the, the gate was not fully latched. The little guy found that and, and uh, was alone for just a few moments and, and tragedy struck. I, I can still seriously hear it in my head, the wail when they closed the little tiny casket and the mother just, just let out the pain that was in her heart. And uh, they're still friends of mine to this day and, and told me for years they, they struggled with how can I trust them and how could that gate be unlatched even though rationally she knew it was just a, a terrible accident and nobody was culpable on it. But how did she navigate that kind of trauma? Those are the kinds of things that, that we live with. Those are ourselves or people that we care about. So how do we navigate that? How do we navigate betrayal? It's part of life. It's part of life we don't like to talk about, like to bury it, like to medicate it, like to just ignore it, but it, it's there. It could be betrayal by one's spouse. It could be betrayal by uh, a business partner. It could be betrayal by a family member. All these kinds of things where we have expectations and then all of a sudden it feels like you get stabbed in the back. How do we navigate those things? Well, God in his unlimited compassion with us left us this scripture where David is dealing with the trauma of betrayal. And so we can learn how to navigate through that. And there's three things that we'll learn. First of all, to trust in God's justice rather than taking personal vengeance the second thing is to soak our minds and our hearts, our souls, in God's unfailing love rather than deteriorate into hatred and fear. And then finally, when we're dealing with, with trauma and being brokenhearted from betrayal, for instance, we can seek God through worship and community rather than getting stuck and suffering in negativity and isolation. So the first one, when na navigating trauma, we can trust in God's justice rather than the toxin of personal vengeance. David was naturally tempted, just like we are, to hate Doeg for killing his friend Elimelech and to take Goliath's sword and to go do business, to take care of business right there. And, and so David was outraged, and any normal person would be outraged at that kind of injustice. That, that would be a normal response to go, you've got to be kidding me. The issue is, what do you do with your outrage? David prayed for God's justice to be poured out upon Doeg. Look at verses 5 through 7. This is his prayer, and it's a prayer about Doeg. Surely God will bring you, he's talking about Doeg, you down to everlasting ruin. He, God, will snatch you up and tear you from your tent. He was putting Doeg into God's hands as God being the judge of all evil. And David was finding comfort in that rather than taking personal vengeance. We live in a society that seems to romanticize personal uh, vengeance. How many movies are about the ex military special ops guy that somebody kills their family and so they go out and they are going to kill everybody who had anything to do with it. But God counsels us in his word to trust in his justice rather than take personal vengeance. Vengeance is actually a spiritual toxin that poisons our souls. 
Psalm 12, uh, 19 wisely counsels us to, quote, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. It's been said that if we live in a world of personal vengeance, an eye for an eye, eventually we'll live in a world where everyone is blind. You see, God is just, and he promises to punish all unrepented evil. Only God is wise enough and, and good enough and powerful enough to rightly punish evil. When we give in to vengeance, we put ourselves in the place of God, and that is a place in the universe that is too heavy for us to bear. Now, vengeance adds toxins into the, the uh, cauldron of trauma that we've already experienced, and we're not designed to absorb the fallout of vengeance. Vengeance doesn't help us heal, and, and vengeance diminishes our humanity, and, and a vengeance uh, aborts the redemptive plan that God has in mind, and, and vengeance does further damage to our soul. It's not part of the solution. So God is saying, like David did, trust me as the judge. I will avenge at the right time in the right way, thus sparing us the trauma and the added crushing burden of taking vengeance into our own hands. G. Campbell Morgan said something very wise. He said this, What you do in a crisis always depends on whether you see the difficulties in the light of God or you see God in the light of the difficulties. Do you see God as the ultimate judge, as a blessing? In the Old Testament, Daniel, the prophet, his name literally means the Lord is my judge. To those who walk with God, the idea of God being my judge is a source of comfort a source of justice and vindication and protection that God is always just and he's wise enough and good enough and powerful enough to rightly judge evil at the right time in the right way. And so we need to call out for and trust in God's judgment like David did where he poured out and said, God, take care of that guy. This is wrong. Do something about it, O Lord. So David didn't turn God into the bad guy when bad things happened in his life. On the contrary, he doubled down on trusting in the Lord. David saw his difficulties in the light of God's goodness rather than judging God in the darkness of his circumstance. He trusted in the Lord's judgment rather than taking matters into his own hands. The Apostle Paul did the same thing. In 2 Timothy 4.14, Paul wrote, Alexander the metal worker did me great harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You see, our peace and our joy dissolves in the spiritual toxins when we seek to exact revenge. For instance, children where their parents divorce suffer more if the parents continue to try to take vengeance upon one another rather than try to find healing. Vengeance is a recipe for unhappiness. So David trusted God's judgment because David knew the character of God. And that's what we see in verse 8, where it says, But I, David, am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. Then listen to this. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. 
So David, he's, he's been traumatized by what Doeg has done. His friend and 84 other men have been killed. And he soaks his mind and his heart, what? In God's unfailing love rather than deteriorating into hatred and fear. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. David could have been captive to hatred toward Doeg and fear toward King Saul. But instead he focused his soul Upon God's unfailing love. The Bible consistently speaks about the power of God's unfailing love. One of my favorite scriptures is in Isaiah 40, 11 that says this. The Lord tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. David in Psalm 34, 18 says this. The Lord is close, is near to the brokenhearted. And then God promises in Romans 8, 39, nothing in all creation in the universe will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, an issue is when trauma hits our lives, will we allow it to become a barrier between us and God? Will we focus on hatred and fear? Or will we, like David, double down on God's unfailing love? When traumatized, I encourage you to pour out your heart. Pour out your emotions and your feelings and your thoughts before God. It it tells us in the Word of God, Cast all your anxiety upon me, for I care for you. So we pour out our pain and our confusion and our brokenness to the Lord. But then David not only poured out those things, he then chose to trust in God's unfailing love and God's perfect justice. Job, you remember, because of Satan's evil, lost his children and his estate. And how did he react in Job 19.25? It says, I know my Redeemer lives and that in the end, in the end, he will stand upon the earth. Job turned his heart and his mind to God's unfailing love and his perfect justice. Right now, life is unjust. Right now, my heart is broken. But in the end, all things will work together for good to those that love the Lord. Someone that understood that is J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. He experienced tremendous trauma in the trench warfare of World War I in Europe. And he invented a word to describe what David understood and what Job understood and what Tolkien uh, experienced. It is you, uh, you catastrophe, you being good, catastrophe being evil. So you catastrophe is good coming out of that which is terrible. The Bible makes it clear that God in his love delays judgment as long as possible in the hope that evil men will repent of their evil actions and be redeemed. God says in Ezekiel that he takes no joy in the death of the wicked and that he delays the coming so that all men would repent for he doesn't want anyone to perish. But the Bible is equally clear that someday God will return with Jesus as judge to pour out his wrath upon injustice, upon unrepented evil. He will right every wrong and wipe every tear from our eyes. But in the meantime, God promises never to leave us or forsake us. God promises to walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death as our shepherd. And that God will abundantly pour out upon us his unfailing love. This past June 18th was Colleen and my 40th wedding anniversary. 
And uh, Colleen is, is in many ways uh, more beautiful than she was on the day we were married, although she was gorgeous on that day. She ages like a fine wine. Me, not so much. I age more like that block of cheddar you leave out, you forget to put it in the refrigerator, and the next morning you go, whoa, that's, that's dried out and wrinkly. Well, that's, that's kind of me. But, but thankfully, wine and cheese go together well, and so that explains our matrimonial success here. And uh, at our wedding, we had two of our friends sing a duet, and they sang this song, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. These are the lyrics to this song. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures feed us. For our use thy folds prepare. We are thine, do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Keep um, thy flock from sin. Defend us, seek us when we go astray. Early let us seek thy favor. Early let us do thy will. Blessed Lord and only Savior, with thy love our bosoms fill. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast loved us, love us still. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast loved us, love us still. That was four decades ago. And I can say in all honesty before you and before Almighty God that Jesus has been a faithful shepherd to us. Um, through hard times, through times of betrayal, not Colleen's betrayal of me or mine of hers, praise be to God, but other kinds of betrayal, a miscarriage. All three of our kids before they're 10 days old were in the pediatric ICU. One of them almost died. Uh, car accidents, raising your kids, which is an adventure. That took my hair. <laughs> uh, the untimely deaths of my brother who died of a brain aneurysm in 2001 and uh, our brother-in-law Tim who died in a, in a one-car rollover accident where alcohol was involved. I can tell you with all sincerity that the Word of God is trustworthy, that you can trust in God's unfailing love because He is your good shepherd. Um, our dear friend, Dr. Dan Morris, medical missionary to Haiti, um, when he was in Haiti, he got news that his brother-in-law died of cancer in Canada, and he went to his Haitian pastor and poured out the, the hurt of his heart. His, his brother-in-law was only in his 30s when he died of cancer. And the Haitian pastor, listen, this Haitian pastor did, did several uh, funerals every week because of the grinding poverty and the injustice and, and all the crazy things of life in, in Haiti, a broken nation, broken society. And the pastor listened compassionately. And then the, the pastor then said this, which I'll never forget. And Dr. Morris told us, the pastor said this, life is hard, but God is good. And that's what David understood David understood that he could trust in the goodness of God because of his unfailing love. So therefore, the last thing that we can see that David did when brokenhearted and betrayed is he sought the Lord through worship and community rather than suffer and be captive of negativity and isolation. The last verse of, of uh, Psalm 52, I will praise you forever for what you have done, O Lord. In your name I will hope. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. I will praise you. I will praise you in the presence 
of your saints. David understood the spiritual power of worship and community, that worship connects our soul with God's Holy Spirit, then community connects us with those that we need who love us. David knew that in trauma he needed connection with God and he needed connection with God's people. And we need love and joy and peace if we are to begin the healing process in our broken hearts. Friends, when hurting, seek God through worship and community. Psalm 136.1, which Aaron referred to at the beginning of this worship service, says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. You see, hope and healing are found in worship and community. Worship is the language of heaven. In worship, our hearts are restored and recharged in faith, hope, and love. In worship, our our vision of God is renewed and expanded. In worship, we connect with the power of the Holy Spirit. Then in community, we are encouraged and comforted by God's people. In community, God's love is made tangible through one another, through our voices, through our actions, through our hugs, through our service of one another. In community, we aren't alone to fight our battles. You see, we are created to deeply need God and one another. So how can we navigate trauma and betrayal? First of all, trust God's justice rather than taking things into your own hands with personal vengeance. And then soak your soul in God's unfailing love rather than deteriorate into hatred and fear. And then when we're brokenhearted by betrayal, we can seek connection with God in worship and connection with one another in community rather than suffer in negativity and isolation. That's the healthy, life-giving path that David modeled for us in Psalm 52, and we'd be wise to follow suit. May 17, 2008 was the worst day for musician Stephen Curtis Chapman and his family. Their five-year-old daughter, Maria, was out playing in the front and filled with energy and love, and she was accidentally struck and killed when their 17-year-old son was backing their SUV in their driveway. And nothing could spare them the unimaginable pain as, as we can empathize with of losing their beloved daughter. Their son struggled as night after night he couldn't sleep because he'd close his eyes and see his little sister that he loved laying there on the driveway. Chapman and his family finally came to the conclusion that the Lord wanted him to continue blessing people with his music. At the first concert after Maria's death, Chapman had his friend Matt Redmond sing, Blessed Be Your Name, which the lyrics of that, um, he gives, he takes away, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, is taken from Job's words after he heard that his kids had died. And that song is what Chapman chose to sing at his little girl's funeral. Chapman confessed, as I sang that song, it wasn't a song, it was a cry, a scream, a prayer. Yet I found an amazing comfort and peace that surpasses all understanding. Chapman shared in an interview that that, uh, after his daughter died, he sat down with all of his songs that he had written. He looked at all the lyrics saying, can I sing that anymore, and do I even believe that anymore? And one of the things that he changed is he added a new verse to his song, Yours. And this is the new verse. 
I've walked the valley of, of death's shadow so deep and dark that I could barely breathe. I've had to let go of more than I could bear, and I've questioned everything I believe. Still, even here in this great darkness, a comfort and a hope comes breaking through. As I say in life and death, God, we belong to you.